You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball. I'm rejoined today by special guest Sachin Govind. Sachin last came on in episode 83 to discuss property investing and that episode was April 2026, so about nine months ago. Sachin, uh, firstly, thank you for coming back on the show. And secondly, would you be all right to just talk us through how the last nine months have gone in terms of your property investing and the changes that you've seen? Uh, hi, Sam. Hope you well. Hope uh, all the listeners are well. So property investing, do you, want, do you want me to just go through what I've been up to? Or is that probably a good starting point? Whatever you want. Right, so what have I been up to? So I think the I've only did one deal last year. That was a, a buy, refurbish, refinance, two service accommodation um, in Manchester. Um, Can you talk a bit more about what that what that is and what that involves? Because buy, refurbish, yeah, so, refinance, you're throwing yeah, a lot so of words we've got, out. We've got words. What are words for you, stock market guys? So basically, buy, refurbish, refinance is where you buy a property, you renovate it. And then you rent it out. But in this particular case, we, we rent it out as a service accommodation. Now, that sort of refurb process took about three months. I didn't do any of the work. Uh, obviously, we, we hand it over to um, a sort of a build team, um, a service accommodation sort of team in Manchester who are experts in their field. Again, I'm always, I'm always someone who tries to use experts if you can. How do you find that team? To, so that was just through networking. Uh, obviously, you know, you, you know that I network quite a lot. I go to a lot of events. Constantly trying to put myself around people who are ahead of me in business life, relationships, property, etc. So just yeah, put myself in the right rooms because I think I've discussed I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm just trying to copy other people um, to try and push my life forward and push my investing forward and push my property forward and my life as a whole forward. So yeah, met that particular person at a networking event, had a few meetings, understand it, understood what they were trying to achieve and what we were trying to achieve and where we were at the time. You don't, you don't need to talk about figures, but in terms of this, this company that basically does it for you, like what percentage right. of a premium are you paying over what it would do to do it yourself? What be, would be to do it yourself? And do you ultimately think it was worth doing? Based on where we were at at the time, yes. It was probably the right deal at the right time. Based on where we, because that's in terms of numbers wise, in terms of return on investment standpoint, that is probably the best deal that I've been involved in. So, from a numbers point standpoint, in terms of where I'm at, in terms of knowledge standpoint, in terms of where I'm at at the time, I obviously my knowledge in terms of development is is not that great in the minute. It's something that I'm actually going to work on this year. It was worth doing, um, and the end product has been good. Um, however, we have now switched that. Or in the process of switching that service accommodation unit to something called Rent to SA. So this is where we're actually giving it to the management company to sort out the service accommodation side of it. They take over all the bills, maintenance, management costs, etc. Obviously, with the sort of increasing sort of electrical costs or energy costs that have happened recently, we were looking for more a more secure income. So as such, we've now or in the process of doing it. Whether we actually do it is. Well, it's to be decided, but in our head, that's the route we're going to take. Obviously, so that just... means obviously reduced profits, but it means a more secure income. And based on where we're at in our portfolio at the scaling up phase, I would much rather take 
fewer risks and have that more secure income, making sure that debt is serviced and making sure that mortgage payment is serviced. So in terms of what you've done, you've taken a two bed, you've turned yeah. it into a, a three bed. That's the bulk of the work. Then it, it did go on Airbnb. So what, what will happen to it instead now? What's What's the difference between what you originally did and what you're doing now? So the only difference is it will still be on Airbnb. It will still be on those big sites, um, booking.com, et cetera. However, we won't, we won't be, we won't have to basically service the cost of that. So we won't have to service the energy costs and maintenance, internet, all the costs that come with an SA, because obviously an SA, a service accommodation unit, um, has obviously the potential to make more money, but obviously it comes with increased costs. And obviously, as we've seen in the last sort of year, year and a half since, covid um obviously a lot of things have gone up in price and obviously interest rates have gone up so i think for actually to be fair with this unit we actually agreed the, the mortgage before sort of rates went up so that was okay but it, it, it the only difference is that basically we're not taking we're not taking ownership of the costs we're just going to be getting a fixed income monthly paid monthly which obviously means we won't get the 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 the, the higher potential profit with doing the service accommodation ourselves but i'm willing to say that for the security right now so how much are you actually giving up then like what percentage are you making now compared to what you were getting when it was being let out by you um so again it's only been live one or two months um and unfortunately obviously january is the worst time for service accommodation now uh, the performance of that property wasn't great in january as to be expected but it is difficult to say. It's difficult to put a number on that. There is obviously going to be some profit reduction, but again, it's that balance between profit reduction and security and servicing your own and various sort of things I've got going on in my life. That it's difficult to, yeah, it's difficult to quantify an actual number. And I probably, I think it's so difficult to say because service accommodation is so unpredictable. I would probably say we're 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 probably making maybe 20 percent down, maybe twenty twenty five percent down, possibly. So that's not horrendous. Um, I mean, if you, if you had a long term residential let, you'd be losing similar amounts to agents anyway. It might be more like sort of ten yeah. percent, but it's it's not abnormal. No, I, I, again, that's I'd need to have a look at the figures on my laptop because it's been a while since I looked at it. I think Samuel was going to factor in as well that property isn't my main thing right now. It may well be in the future, but it, at the minute it's a bit of a side hustle. And you know, do I want to be? Do I want to be? You know, chasing up management agents to, to sort of make sure that we're fully booked out. I, I don't, well, versus a more secure. I'm not. I'm. I think there's, there's sort of the the pros that way that comes for me in that in that sort of situation. So going forward then, obviously you did do this with the intention of letting it on Airbnb. What would you do yeah. differently in your next deals? And would you would you be open to doing the exact same thing? Or, or as a result of this, would you have something in mind from the outset to what you did with this property? So I think for me, I'm looking for more secure levels of income. So what that means is is contracts or vehicles that are going to get that pretty much guarantee you income every single month, and you have an idea, sort of what you're looking to get. Now there are certain strategies in property that uh, mean you can almost, obviously I don't like the word guarantee, but you can almost safely say that you know you're going to get an income every single month. Something like you know a two to two or three bed house with a, a family for 
for, for three, four, five, ten years, you know, that is, you know, very guaranteed. You've got sort of leases, you know, you've got leases with charities, leases of social housing, leases with the council where they're, they're guaranteeing you that income every month. And like I said, we're still in the scale up phase in our portfolio. And and again, like I said, it's not my main thing. So it, it, those sorts of projects, those sorts of things really do interest me. Uh, and I'm looking to explore more. But in terms of what would it have changed? I think the only thing I probably would have changed is the last bit is that maybe essentially looking at buy refurbish refinance and then giving it to a, a sort of a leasing provider or someone who will take management of it and getting that fixed income. I don't think there's anything in the process that will probably change. Can we talk about the, the refinance part of it then? Yeah. And what that actually is and what you've done. <clears throat> okay, so refinance is basically you... We obviously we bought the property, we added value to that property. And by adding the value, you've created equity in that property. So by refinancing, you're basically pulling all the money you've spent out of it, or the majority hopefully out of it, and then bringing your loan to value to around 25, uh, a 75% loan to value. And basically, you can recycle your money. So with the same pot of money that we've put into buying the initial property, we can then go and move forward and buy more properties. And it basically means that you're you can buy a, a lot of properties or quite a lot of properties with basically one pot of money. It obviously is, it does require a lot of effort. It's more risk because obviously it involves building work, adding value to a property, but then with risk comes reward. And in terms of the refinance process, I'll be honest, it was an absolute headache. Um, especially with the interest rates, especially with all the particulars that, that mortgage companies require, solicitors require, et cetera. It, it is very mentally challenging just trying to get one refinance done and dusted. And you've, you've got to be very persistent. Um, and I've talked about, I think we've spoke about it in person, it's property is a very long-term game. You probably have more losses than wins at the start. But if you're willing to play, a, again, I've said I'm playing a 60, 70, 100-year game. If you're willing to play it, if you're willing to think about the long-term, then all these little headaches, all these little things that crop up um, in the long run are, you know, you you sort of forget about them and look at the positives of it. So how has the ref going forward? How has the refinancing element been impacted by the interest rates? Because it is higher. The interest rate is higher than it was nine months ago, <clears throat> and in nine months it, it could be higher still, based on the fact that we we've, we've got still got quite high inflation. For me, it was fine. Obviously, the the main issue is just getting all the sort of your your ducks uh, or your things in order to making sure that process is as smooth as possible, just sort of documents, things like that, connecting with the right people, mortgage broker, solicitor. But in terms of sort of, in terms of that process, again, it was all, it was agreed as a decision in principle. So what that means is that we had a decision in principle basically in place before we bought the property. So from our point of view, when it was agreed, there were no issues. It was just obviously getting it over the line, which was the main issue. In terms of moving forward, yes, obviously interest rates on the on the rise or on the rise, and we are obviously a, a lot higher than the sort of one two percent that we've seen. How is that going to impact me? Again, it's just it's just going to stress you've just got to stress test your properties. You've got to make sure that you're getting positive cash flow with the high interest rates. Stress test testing at potentially six or eight percent, and just making sure that you know you can service that debt. Um, you it's all about staying in the game. Um, and you know what? I know some property people will be like, oh, I'm of the view of even if it means that you have to put maybe 50% LTV to get a, to get a, like, a deal done, 
I personally don't think it's 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 a bad thing. I know it's a lot harder to scale profit, though. Or profit purists say, "Oh, you true, true, very true, Sam, very true." It's a lot harder to scale, but but then it's a, but then if you're playing a long term game, you've got the time. You know, I'm, I'm 27. I've got if I'm say working for another 40 years, that's a long time. You know, that's a long time. Um, so yes, it, it means you can't scale quicker, but you're still scaling at a slower rate and you're still in the game. And, you know, I've heard enough stories of 2008 where people couldn't service the debt. They they were taking 100, 125% mortgage out. And then what's the, the famous Buffett quote? When the tide goes out, you'll see the people who are swimming naked. Well, you know, a lot of people didn't survive 2008. And, you know, they're, they're, some of them some of them haven't been able to rebuild. Some have. And, and, you know, I'm playing a long-term game. So I don't, if I don't have to take the risk, why take the risk? So, one other thing is interest rates are going up. Historically, whenever that happens, you tend to have house prices going down. As someone yeah. who is looking at properties pretty much all the time, have you yeah. noticed a drop in prices? Yes. So one question, yeah. There's definitely been a slowing up. Um, I'm seeing stuff sitting on right move a bit longer. You see a bit more, you're seeing almost discounts on right move. So yes, I have seen a slowing up, but again, it's not. It's probably not as bad as everyone thought. Like people are still buying, people are still uh, people are still looking to buy. Obviously, I'm looking to buy. People are still looking to sell, but it's just not as I suppose active slash ferocious as 2020 sort of 2021. So yeah, there has been a slow up, but but any any sort of time, there's always deals to be done. You've just got to go and find those deals. You've got to be able to sort of raise the funds for those deals, and. Yeah, so so there are deals to be done. It's just maybe the type of deals that you're doing. For example, you know, a lot of people are doing commercial to residential at the minute. So what basically means is you get a commercial building, you then apply for planning, repurpose it as residential, sort of maybe flats or something like that. Now, that's quite popular at the minute because obviously commercial prices have been depressed for many years. So it's just about adapting your strategy. I think that's the main thing. And like, again, I've, I've, given, you, I've given you podcast listeners an example of how I've adapted my strategy. I've adapted my service accommodation unit and now looking at going to giving it to rent to SA sort of sort of person to, to, to manage. And it's just about it's, it's another day, property is business. It's, you've got to adapt, you've got to make things happen and you know you've got to re, you've got to be also be reactive. I suppose until you have the, the you know the, the big unencumbered portfolio, maybe you can maybe take a step back a bit more. But even then you've still got to be active, understanding the market, understanding you know, what legislation's coming in, what the government's saying, tax tax implications, etc. So it's just an ongoing process, Sam. You have an idea of what you want your next deal to be, or is it, because I mean, last time you, you were open to a lot of different things. Is yeah. there any more, I don't know, has that focus narrowed at all, or are you still casting your net pretty wide? I think that, that 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 shift has sort of focused. I think I want to. I think I'm almost like two trains of thought. I think there's there's still that element of want to maybe do another another few buy refurbish refinance at two SAs and give them again to to management companies. And then I'm also just talking sort of bog standard two or three bed houses in around the Manchester region. Um, obviously that's my sort of target patch for various reasons. And I I'd like to step up my game and manage or project manager a refurb this year but again i need to go and do some more learning go and put myself around the right people to make that happen 
and get and yeah, m- sort of moving that way. I think I'm sort of moving away from sort of minimal refurbishment turnkey stuff because obviously the downside to that is that you can't recycle your money. Whereas with sort of de- small development stuff, refurbishing, you can obviously recycle your money. Where we're at in our portfolio, we're looking to scale. So I think that sort of summarizes it. And also looking at that third option of sort of more secure, more secure income forms. We, we've talked about this in person a bit more, but in terms of where you're actually buying, I think we covered it a bit in the last interview, but there's like, could you talk a bit about the sort of the area? I know that some of it's just, it is just where you're based. So you've, you've got to work. There yeah. is really a certain radius that you can actually manage. You, you can't really be managing properties that are three, four hours away, but in terms of the, what would be your manageable radius? You probably have quite a bit in Bolton because you've got you're not too far from Manchester, you're not too far from Liverpool. There's also quite a lot of other decent. I mean, Leeds is only an hour away as well. There's a lot of decent sized places. So why do you like, for example, Manchester so much over the other options that are available to you? Okay, first off, I just want to pick up on that point you just said. You can't manage properties three to four hours away. It's harder. Um, Okay, there we go. I'd like <laughs> just want to check your uh, your wording on that. Obviously, it's massively harder. But again, if you run it as a business, I, I know people who do it. I personally don't have the time or energy or effort to go searching for the best deal two or three hours away. So why do I focus on Manchester? Because it's, in my opinion, it's the second city. Uh, if you've got any people from Birmingham, I apologise. I think that it has great fundamentals. We've seen a lot of investment. Is you, you know the city has changed in the last seven or eight nine years. You know, ever since I started going out when I was 18, you'd, you would obviously, you know, go out around Manchester and, you know, places where I'd used to park, there were now skyscrapers. You know, we've seen the whole whole regeneration of Deansgate South and we've seen skyscrapers there. You've got a train line two hours, just over two hours to London. I think the quality of sort of tenant that you attract is a lot higher. And from a long-term capital growth standpoint, I believe that Manchester's heading the way of London. You know, from a, from a simple cost point of view, we're seeing, you know, Pints for pints of beer for more than five pounds in Manchester now. So that that's and you think that's beer, a good thing, do you? What a pint of beer over five pounds. That's your measure um, of what you're looking for. <laughs> well, it's just an example. Obviously, Sam, I don't drink, so that doesn't affect me. But um, but it's it's you know the cost of things is going up in Manchester, and so if the cost of things is going up, that means there is a demand because people are going to be willing to pay those prices. And I, I just, I like Manchester as a place. I think that I, I understand it very well. It's it's 20 minutes, 25 minutes from home. There's a lot of great areas around Manchester. So I, I just, and I, I think it's it, because right now as well, I think it gives the the combination of capital growth and cash flow. I, I do think there are better places out there for sure. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. Um, you know, if I honestly, if I had the money personally, I'd look to go and invest in London because the, the the capital growth is phenomenal. But unfortunately, the cash flow isn't there and obviously the distance. But maybe in the future, London is somewhere that I might look at. But right now, I'm very much focused on Manchester. I think focus is focus on one course of action until successful. And if I get distracted by any other places, you can almost get into a stage where you're doing nothing. You're just looking at deals and coming up with excuses to not do deals. Whereas if I'm focused on Manchester, it means that my understanding of the market is it's going to be better than maybe someone who is, you know, will buy anywhere. It means I can develop and build better relationships, both with agents, management teams, builders, uh, potential investors. So from, from that point of view, it's, it's 
I just think you have to personally I think being really focused is is really important. And for me, the the fundamentals in Manchester are there. I think it's a fantastic place. Obviously, as you know, Sam in Vietnam at the minute and everyone seems to know where Manchester is. I say I'm from Manchester. The first thing is says Manchester City or Manchester United. It's an international city. And with international city comes opportunity, it comes investment. People want to live there. So so that's why for me Manchester is a place to be. I know people looking for deals in sort of Leeds, Liverpool, and they're great areas. And, and you know, if I live closer, and maybe in the future I might go and invest in those places. But for me right now, where I'm at, I just need to remain focused, focused on my objectives, focused on the goals that I want to achieve. And I believe Manchester is the place where I can achieve those goals. So that links quite nicely to my next question. Could you just talk about the, the, the deal that you did do last year? It's not, for example, a flat in a skyscraper, smack bang in the centre of Manchester. It's just outside of Manchester. So could you talk about your logic yeah. for that and what, what you're thinking was and what you're thinking is with that property? It was it was just, um, first off, the return on investment was good. It was the best deal I've been a part of. It was my first time involved in a development process, adding value to property, converting things, etc. And I wanted to be around that to to pick up knowledge and um, constantly you've got to, I think you've got to be constantly learning because there is so much to learn and property is obviously evolving. I think the area where it was is good. It's, it's, it's pretty close to, to the city centre. So with that means that the way capital appreciation tends to occur is when it, it starts in the city centre and then and it goes outwards. So from that standpoint, it, you know, it's, it, 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 it just had a lot of great fundamentals and um, very close to sort of Salford Keys area which is a, you know, a thriving area for young professionals. And I think that sort of sums up. It just, Sam, it just had the fundamentals of a good deal, a good area, good return on investment, you know, a bog standard sort of, well, it's now a three-bed house, but a house that will serve, serve the test of time. And, and yeah, it was just, you know, I want to buy more housing in, in, around the Manchester area. And that sort of, that ticks a lot of boxes. So, one of the things you did talk about as well is in terms of capital appreciation, you think with that location, and we don't need to go into amounts or anything, but you, you think that property could go up a lot in the next, say, 10, 20 years because of where it is just outside of Manchester. Is is that because of what you're saying about basically like the, the capital appreciation moving outwards or is it more that as Manchester gets bigger and expands, it becomes more central because it sort of Manchester grows into it? So there's an underlying issue in this in in the UK, and the underlying issue is that they're they're not building enough houses. We're on an island; they're not building enough houses. Planning permission at times is ridiculous to try and get some stuff through planning. Um, for example, um, I think it was a council, maybe Slough Council, rejected planning for solar panels on their own building, which is that's how ridiculous planning is. So you have these underlying fundamentals: um, a growing population on an island, and they're not building enough homes. There was a shortfall of 100,000 homes in the UK every single year. And so in 10 years, that is compounded and you've got potentially a million house shortfall. And the government isn't doing enough to address this issue. As an investor, as a developer, or soon to be a developer, I want to see more houses because it, it's not, it, it's not, it's just not good for anyone. You know, it's developers are getting annoyed. People like me are getting frustrated because you can't potentially get through stuff to be planning. It doesn't help people who are trying to buy your own home. You know, it doesn't help that because obviously prices are going up. And the thing with the UK, if you look at the statistics, the average house doubles in value every 10 to 15 years. 
obviously there are exceptions to the rule, but you look at London. I was in London recently. Um, I was in Fulham region. So 1995, that property was sold for 160 grand. That property was on the market at the end of last year for 1.7 million. So from 1995 to 2022, that has what nearly 10 over 10x in value. Now, that, that, that that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And 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 you know, the, the UK has a fundamental problem that needs addressing. And and I, like I said, I think Manchester's going the same way as London. So I'm hedging a bet. But if 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 London's 10x, you know, even if even if this property doubles in value over my lifetime, it, it, I, you know, it, I I can't I can't shy away from that's a very good deal in my opinion. I disagree with that. I think of it depends how long you're planning on living, but that would be well below inflation. I, I think from a from a defensive investment point of view, I, I'd be happy with that. It depends. Obviously, there's been defensive investment and been attacking investment. And again, I'm that's a def, that that statement is a very defensive statement. But like I said, I anticipate it going up way more than that. But I'm just making that point as a defensive investment strategy point of view. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so one thing you said that I, I would want to pick up on as well. I, I appreciate what you're saying with the undersupply of housing. It's it's something we we cover the house builders quite a bit yeah. on the show. And one thing we find frustrating is, for example, like the help to buy scheme. You, you're taking yeah. what is clearly a supply side problem, and that we don't we just aren't building enough houses. And all of the government solutions seem to be aimed at demand side solutions. So so rather than building more houses, they're trying to make those ridiculously priced houses more affordable for people who can't afford them with stuff like help to buy yeah. and lowering you know the loan to value for the first property and the stamp duty and all this stuff which is not really addressing the issue at all it's just propping up inflated prices but i think when you look at the prices in london and i appreciate people like to be in london it is the international city certainly in the uk the capital appreciation in london in the last 30 years 40 years has been absolutely staggering the, like that like you say the numbers you can quote are just they're hard to believe because they are just so ridiculous now, now i would look at that and say well actually because you said earlier on well you know maybe you would like to get into london i mean some of those places have gone up so much that they just can't continue to go up at that rate because it's it's just it just it just becomes completely unaffordable so would that be a concern? I, I think it's less of a concern for somewhere like Manchester anyway, but for somewhere like London, would that concern you at all that it's already so high? I think obviously you've got to have that element of caution and the example I've given is just one example that I happen to look at. But but then I come back to Sam, you know, we, we have this undersupply of housing. You, you've even just said that London is an international city, right? So people want to live there, Okay. And there's going to reach a point where you can't build anymore. There's only so much space in London. There's only so much infrastructure you can put in place. So, yes, you can look at it from the point of view of, you know, you know, London may not may not go up and um, go up as much in the future. But, but I'm sure people were saying that ten years ago. You know, oh, that house will never be worth 1.7 million. I'm sure they were saying that ten years before that. Oh, that house will never be worth 1.7 million in 2022. So, you know, it, it, you've just got to look at the look at the statistics, and and if you look at the statistics, the stats say that house prices double every ten to fifteen years in the UK. Okay, fine, it might be twenty, it might be twenty five years, it might be thirty. But, but London has massively outpaced that. So, haven't have returns been pulled forward for London? 
I, I, I can't answer that question. I really don't know. I don't know London inside out enough. But the one thing I do know is that I don't know. They, they must be reaching a point where you're running out of space to build properties. And when you run out of space to build properties, there's a, then a there's a supply issue, isn't there? And if there's a supply issue, that means prices naturally go up. To a degree, but I think eventually the pro- the property itself becomes so unaffordable that people just don't live in London. They they live an hour outside. And I mean, some of the commutes people working in London are willing to do are just mind boggling. I, I genuinely I don't know how they do it. But you'll get people where they live but, ninety but, minutes but, but, outside Sammy, it's already London. Happening. So, so, sorry to but it's already happening. You've just said it yourself. People are doing cheap, like silly commutes. That's because it's so unaffordable to live in London, though. It's not because there's not places they could be. It's just that for what they're yeah. paying, it's it's better to live 90 minutes away and have three hours of commuting a day. With an increasing population size and with it, London becoming a... Obviously, it's a, a fantastic city, but, you know, more and more, I think more and more people want to be associated with living in London. I am just playing devil's advocate here. Um, I, know, I know. But do you think we will have an increase in population size? Because that's a very big assumption. And if you look at a lot of other Western countries, that is an assumption that for the next 50, in 50 years' time, our population could be flat or down slightly. If, for example, Japan's anything to go by. And part of what causes that is unaffordable housing because people can't get on the property ladder, they can't start families, and everything gets pushed back. So is that an assumption that you're building in that might actually not be a certain, well, it's definitely not a certainty, but I think it's a lot less likely than people might even think. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it is an assumption, but, but then you look at the UK and you know, it's a fantastic place to live. I know people, some people, a lot of people slag off the UK. I don't like the UK and this and that, but, but again, as Sam, I've traveled to a fair number of countries in my life. And there is, I always say to people, I would never leave the UK. And if, and a lot of people want to move to the UK. So, yes, there may be a sort of a reduction in or there might be a stagnation in population size or people, you know, having kids, et cetera. But, but there's still that that pull from international citizens to come and live in London and spend their money in London and, and spend their time in London. And it's, you know, it's, it's a financial hub. It's a business hub. It's a, a sporting hub. It's a cultural hub. You, you have all these landmarks. So I know I'm explicitly talking about London itself, but... We're also looking out at Manchester, looking at places like Edinburgh, looking at places like potentially Dublin. And I, I don't think we can we can get away from that fact that, you know, people never want to stop living in the UK. I think that it's a, a fantastic place. In my opinion, top five places to live in the world. You know, it, we, we, do, we do as a country have our faults, but I'd never give up my passport. Um, and people are eager to move here because of, because you can build a, a really good life for yourself. So what do you think of then, um, so you talk about your know, property prices doubling every 10 or 15 years. Are there any areas that you have looked at? And it, might, it just might not be something that's come across, but there, are there certain, for example, cities in the UK where actually that hasn't happened? There's been a bit of a lag. And then, yes. so, so, and then so how much does that factor into where you're wanting to buy in terms of, do you think, oh, there's been a bit of a lag? So it's not actually... This, this this place isn't very good, to put it very simplistically. Or do you think, well, there's been a bit of a lag, there's things going on, and I think this could catch up? Okay, so I'll give you an example. Blackpool. Blackpool was, a, what, a thriving city? Maybe in the, maybe, again, 80s, 90s, a really good seaside town now. And, and you know, a lot of people go there, you know, spend summer holidays there, etc. But obviously, as time has moved on, as international travel has become more widely available, 
Blackpool is a place that you know property taxes haven't gone up. I know someone who I know a, a friend of a friend of a friend who's invested invest there years ago, and a lot of their properties are the same price. So in that sense, you know, is Blackpool a place that potentially we should be looking to invest in? Because it hasn't had the growth of Manchester. It hasn't had the growth of London. It hasn't had the growth of these cities. And again, I think it's pretty similar to the Northeast. Northeast is very much behind the rest of the UK in terms of sort of property prices. And again, because of, you know, the historic stuff and in terms of, you know, the the job situation in 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 recent in sort of in the past. But obviously that's now changing. So yeah, I suppose you know when you when you hear facts like that, it probably you know it does make you stop and think. You know, am I missing an opportunity? But then I come back to the fundamentals for me, Sam. I say, well, where is the best path of growth going to be? Where am I going to get you know? Where is a, I'm going to get great demand for for, for the properties? Where are property prices going to go up? Where is the infrastructure? Where do people want to live? Now, if you're in the northwest, the majority of people. In, based on sort of young professionals or people my age want to live in cities, they want to live in Liverpool, they want to live in Manchester because those those places have had investment, they've got jobs, they've got activities, they've got, you know, culture. And and obviously we've seen a pull in the last sort of, last sort of 20, 25 years where, for example, the city of Manchester, I'm just going back to Manchester, where, you know, people didn't want to live in the city of Manchester because it was quite dangerous. Whereas now, people want to live in the city of Manchester. I want to live in the city of Manchester because it's a great place. So... From that point of view, yes, there are great areas out there, Blackburn, areas in the northeast. But then it comes back to your individual goals and objectives and what you're trying to achieve. And I'm willing to say, take a sacrifice in terms of cash flow to achieve the potential for great capital growth. So in terms of the, the places that you have mentioned, yeah. I, I, would, I, would, I think there's a pretty clear distinction between Blackpool and I, I think the northeastern area as an area is too big anyway because because I've I've now got the ability to pick and choose. But like in terms of Blackpool, I don't see any catalyst for people wanting to buy houses there or any change. And when you go to Blackpool now, it's it's just quite a sad place. I love the Pleasure Beach. There's there's a lot to like about Blackpool, but it is just it's a shadow of what it would have been in like the sixties. Uh, and I wouldn't look at that and think, well, you know, soon Blackpool's going to be back in favour. It it just might never happen. Whereas I think the northeast and I, I do appreciate that you've given an entire region so I, I, it is much easier for me to pick and choose but there are areas in the northeast where you could look at that and say well actually I, I think there could be a lot of capital appreciation here as well so for example newcastle obviously you've got you've got the saudis coming in and buying the football club there'll be a lot of investment in the yeah. area there i mean there's somewhere when 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 me and my girlfriend go into town and to newcastle and we're parking where we're parking it's basically free parking after seven near the stadium I'd be amazed if in 10, 20 years you can park there. I think it'll be a block of flats or something. It's just, you can just, it's just because it's right where that investment's going to be. And then you could pick like other areas, like for example, Teesside, where they're getting the Freeport and there's going to be probably a lot of commercial building around the Freeport. And there's going to be a lot of people then coming to live in those areas. Or you could do like Darlington, where they're moving the treasury and like, like the, obviously with the, the government are starting to move some public sector jobs outside of London. Whereas with Blackpool, I just don't see that. And I know you're not sat here saying invest in Blackpool, but I, I don't know. I just, I just thought it was worth highlighting the point that like it, it, it's very specific to each place. Yeah, I, I completely, you know, I understand your point, but, but I don't have a crystal ball and mm-hmm. I can't predict. Well, obviously, we're speaking about Blackpool, so I can't predict, you know, there may be some investment in the future in Blackpool. We don't know that. 
But the point um, is, there's, there's there's other areas where you can see there's going to be investment, and you you've got a pretty clear idea of what those investments are. Whereas in Blackpool, it would be more something might happen. You you'd be you almost be buying it because because it's performed poorly. That that would all do you know what I mean? That's not necess- that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, there's going to be a catch up. It might just have performed poorly because it's a worse place. Well, again, Sam, people are investing in Blackpool, so maybe I am the fool who maybe can't see the. Can, can't see the potential in it. I, I don't know. I do know that there was some talk about some level of investment in Blackpool. I, I can't remember the exact figures, but I do think they're looking at a, a massive regeneration of Blackpool. But uh, people, obviously, other investors do invest there and do really well there. So uh, th- there must be some reason there. You know, they must be getting good returns or they can see something maybe I can't see. So, so I think, again, it comes back to your individual goals and objectives and what you're trying to achieve. Now, you know, in Blackpool, you may be able to buy properties on a lower price, get a better return and scale quicker. So, I, I, again, I don't have a crystal ball to put it in the future. And I understand your point in terms of, you know, Blackpool doesn't look like it's going to have any potential investment in the future. But but again, for me personally, it comes down to fundamentals. I want to be in a place that offers me great fundamentals. And that's why, again, I personally don't touch that area. But I know I know some some property investors who do really well that well that in fact serves accommodation in that area does really well because it's a why is why is that? is that because is that because the prices are so depressed that you're getting much higher yields so why does service accommodation do well that why, why is, is it doing well is it because the prices are so much lower that you can get much higher yields i think so i think property prices again people still want to visit Blackpool, the pleasure beach the beach you know, sort of um, living St. Anne's, etc. It is still a tourist destination, despite obviously you not liking it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've, I've been there in like last maybe two or three years. I went to a festival there, so. But so- I, I like Blackpool. Don't get me wrong, but I would never buy a house there. That's a, as a place. I do quite like it. I do love the Pleasure Beach, and I, I don't want to pick on Blackpool. But I just think, from an investment point of view, it's possibly the last place in the UK I would want to put my money. Well, again, people are doing it, Sam. So I can't obviously comment on why people are doing it. If they're making, obviously, they're making good returns, again, it may be a sort of a location issue. They may live in the area and know the area inside out. I don't know, but but people are buying there. Property investors are buying there. People are developing there. So there clearly is a demand. Okay. Um, so next question. Obviously, quite quite a bit's changed in the last nine months or so since we last had you on nine ten months. In the like sort of nine ten months ago, you 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 were doing a lot of networking, which you are still doing. You you were learning as much as you could, and you you were looking for that first deal. If you Second were to come deal. back, I done one. I done one before. Yeah, yeah, I done one before. All oh, right. Okay. All right. Well, in that case, could you just summarise where you were nine months ago compared to now, and then um, where you where you would okay. like to be if you were to come back on in nine or twelve months' time? I think nine months ago, I was very unfocused. I didn't really know what I was looking to achieve. I think that obviously we had that deal done, but I think my it's just my knowledge base wasn't as good. I think from a theory point of view, my 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 theory of property wasn't great. Whereas now, I feel like I'm talking about property. My understanding of properties is on a greater level, and I think that my theory of property, understanding of property markets, etc., and is a lot greater. I think I'm just more focused now. Already in this podcast, I've sort of talked. Like about the three areas that I'm really looking to hammer home and looking to build. So where would I like to be in nine to one? Well, I'd, I think I'd like to be looking to a stage where, you know, I've, I've added more properties to my portfolio. I think this year I'd like to potentially add another five. There's there's two that we are completing on um, this year. Um, so realistically, I've got to 
Rook to Rook to Rook to basically three more deals. So that's basically one every just over well, basically three in the rest of the year. Obviously, I'm in Vietnam at the minute, so when I get back, I won't have as maybe I've got three, ten months to find three deals. So that's my I suppose my my target for this year. I think where do I want to be in twelve months? Um, I think I want to be looking to have done a refurbishment myself, project manage that, and yeah, being a being a being a headspace next year where I've got the confidence to understand developments, refurbishment, and looking to sort of you know use the ability to to recycle money um, to my advantage. In terms of the two deals that you completed on. Could you give us like an overview of what they are and where they are and why you like them? Okay. Uh, first one is a fight in Manchester. It, it, I'll be honest, it was the first deal. It wasn't the best deal I've ever done or will ever do. It was before I'd been networking. It was before I'd done courses. It was before my knowledge of property was that good. It was before I'd probably really discovered property on YouTube. So it wasn't great. However, it's in a great location. Um, it's in the city, it's based in the city of Manchester. Events very well. And yeah, we're just sort of looking now to, obviously I do want to buy some more flats in Manchester, but again, it's just making sure the prices are right. In terms of the second deal, obviously I've spoken about it. Um, it was a buy refurbished refinance to service accommodation, where it's going hopefully to be switched to a rent per se. And yeah, again, it's that, that sort of guaranteed secure income that I'm looking for. So for the next three, do you have any idea of what they will be or what you would like? Uh, yeah, so I think that I'd like to do, like I said, I'd like to do another service accommodation or rent to SA unit. Obviously, we've got two two deals agreed that are, that are just bog standard flats. Um, and then the other two, I think I'd like to buy maybe two or three bed houses, potentially give them to the council, potentially give them to maybe social housing, etc. There is a lack of social housing in the UK, you know, due to the Conservative government's actions in the 1980s, I think, with Thatcher, 80s, I might right. And, and, you know, there is a chronic lack of social housing. And personally, that where, in my opinion, the ability to buy your, you know, a council house, in my opinion, should be reversed. I don't think that should be, should be allowed because it's causing this shortfall of housing. But to die, well, I'm just digressing, um, but it's something that I, I don't know, I, I don't understand personally. We've got a shortfall of social housing, yet we're selling off social houses or council houses. I, I don't understand that at all. But yeah, that's just, I suppose, my opinion. <laughs> But yeah, the, the, that's the sort of deals I like to do. And yeah, just 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 buy good quality properties in great areas with great fundamentals that that stand the test of time. What's been the biggest mistake you've made since you last came on the podcast? I, I don't know off the top of my head. I made a lot. I've made a lot. Biggest mistake. I think maybe just being unfocused. Really, I think I was quite unfocused for quite a bit of time. But I think that was whilst I was finding my feet. It's probably the biggest mistake I made. Do you think that was unfocused or do you think that was part of the learning curve and that you had to learn about everything at the start to figure out what it was you actually wanted to drill down deeper into? Like you could, you would, without, without having the knowledge you have now at the start, which you, you obviously wouldn't have had, is there any way you could have done it in a more focused way? I don't think so. I think again, it's uh, hindsight's a great tool, but, but it's like I said, I'm, I'm very much of the, the view that it's all about the journey and I'm kind of glad of the journey that I've taken because I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't be able to talk about property at probably the level I can do. My knowledge of the property market, you know, wouldn't be as good as it, you know, obviously still lots to learn, but I feel like it's a hell of a lot better than when I first started when I didn't know anything. I put myself in some very interesting rooms, been around some people who are doing amazing things, who have done amazing things, like almost where, you know, I'm at a point where I'm looking to buy, you know, two or three properties. Yeah, I'm seeing people buy, you know, 
you know, really scaling their portfolio aggressively. So from that point of view, it's, it's, I think it's maybe it's part of the journey. Maybe I'm being harsh on myself, I think, but that's really the only thing I can really think of at the minute. Yeah, I, I would have to say that from from my point of view, obviously, I know we do talk about it a lot anyway when we see each other. But in terms of the comparison now to when you last came on the podcast, I do feel like there is more focus and clarity. And, and one thing I, I, I mean, for example, like normally when we do an interview, we will circulate a question list to the interviewee beforehand. Whereas with this one, we have literally just hopped on a Zoom call. So we had a few ideas of things we'd like to discuss, most of which we actually haven't gone into because we've talked about property for longer than I thought we would. (laughs) But I I don't think, and you can correct me if you you think I'm wrong, but I don't think a year ago I could have just said, hop on a Zoom call and talk for an hour and it's it's going to be minimal editing. Whereas with this, I feel like, although you don't know the questions in advance, it's it is touching on things you've already thought about. So you are able to give quite a clear and succinct answer. And I, th- I think, I think from, from an interviewer's perspective, I, I think that there is clearly a, like more of a focus compared to last time. I, again, I appreciate your, your kind of words, Sam. <laughs> I, I just, I think maybe again, I'm not, I'm not maybe giving myself credit for the journey I've taken. But like genuinely, you, do you think, do you think a year ago you could have hopped on the podcast in the same way we've done it today without any prep? I know you'd have probably I, given it a go. I don't think so. I, don't, I would have but, given it a go, yeah, because you know what I'm like, I'll give anything a go. But no, probably not. I think, again, that's maybe, maybe, again, it's, it's maybe that is a sort of reflective point of view in that you're, you're seeing the change in me, which I suppose is a good thing because it means that the work I'm doing is paying off because, yeah, again, you've, like, like you've said, you've not sent me any questions. We've just talked and spoken and had a discussion and, I don't know how how far how long we're now, but we you know we're we're still talking. So it's about fifty minutes. Maybe now. There is, yeah, maybe there's a credit maybe credit where credit due to myself that you know the time and hours I'm putting in, which you know you can't you don't maybe see a, a return investment on that time is clearly paying off. Yeah, um, but I, I just think to be able to just hop onto a podcast and just answer questions for fifty minutes about something you, you've got to know a lot about it. Whereas I think I don't know. Compared to a year ago, maybe you probably would have hopped on and talked for fifty minutes, but there, there probably would have been a lot more, like you know, almost like fumbling around. What's yeah. and I, 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 I appreciate that you only read about um, one book every two years, but um, what is the best book you've re- read since you last came on the podcast? Well, Sam, I disagree. With that. I'm quite an avid reader. I, 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 I do read a lot. Um, I have been a bit slow in the last sort of six months, but best book I've read recently. I, I honestly can't remember because I've not read that many, but I have been reading, but very slowly. I've been w- watching a lot more YouTube, to be honest, recently. I'm listening to so, a lot more podcasts. Go on. Could you talk about how you do read a book? Because you read it very differently to me and that I, I will just literally read a book and move on, whereas you, you will dissect a book. Yeah. Um, how do I read a book? I pretty much read every single sentence in the book. I know there's the notion of if you're not enjoying it, get rid of it, but... A lot of the books that I've read, um, they've been recommended by other business people, property people, like people who have done really successful businesses or just sort of Instagram or social media re- recommendations. For me, I annotate it. Right? I make notes. Um, I'll annotate it. I'll even write questions myself. And then what I'll do at the end of each chapter is I'll make some notes of that chapter. So what that means is that when I want to go back to that book, you, yeah, I've made the key points and i can get through that book again very quickly i'm talking maybe 20 minutes half an hour where i just read the key points 
maybe have a quick walk through in terms of things I've underlined or things I've made notes of. And then it's, it's there sort of forever. And I jokingly say to my parents that if, you know, if, if anyone robs the house, please don't rob the books. Because there's a lot of time been spent and a lot of knowledge has been acquired. You know, take the TVs, take the iPads or whatever, take my phone, but don't rob my books. Because um, I've spent so much time acquiring knowledge and making notes and sort of immersing myself in books. Have you ever thought of doing like a blog or anything for it? Because it's just, you'd have a permanent place for it. Like even if no one's reading it, it's it's more of like a diary and almost like a log of everything. And it wouldn't cost anything. So it doesn't interest me. However, with my YouTube channel, it's something that I am thinking about very much so. Because I think there's a, a market there within my YouTube channel that it would potentially work. And again, uh, as you know, I'm really, I'm really documenting my document that somewhere, apart from on my Instagram story where it disappears after a day. Could you talk about why, why you, um, this will probably be the final question, because I think once we go off over an hour, people tend to drop off a bit. Um, but can you talk about your YouTubing and why you do like doing it and what got you into that? Okay, so how did I get into it? Um, I was at uni and... I don't know. I think most people at uni will probably watch Netflix or TV. Um, but for whatever reason, I just started watching YouTube. I watched a lot of YouTubers and I was really interested in it. And I liked the idea of documenting. It's in actual honesty, the YouTube, the reason I started YouTube was that I was actually trying to build a business. I wanted to eventually go into personal training, online coaching. However, due to various injuries, that hasn't happened. Obviously, I do talk about fitness a lot on my YouTube channel, but it's now become more of a place where I talk about basically my travels and documenting my travels. But why, so why did I exactly get into YouTube? So, um, so basically, um, obviously I'm a pharmacist by trade and you don't really use your creative side when you're in as a pharmacist. It's very much black and white. So for many years, I never really unlocked that creative side. And I think you do kind of need to use the creative part of your brain occasionally. Simply the memories. I've met some incredible people on, uh, on my travels. Obviously, I solo travel. I'm completely recording this from Vietnam on my 13th solo trip. My One of my life goals is to visit 120 countries that interest me. I've left the boring ones out. So it's, you know, I've met some incredible people. I've met, had some amazing times and, and to document them and be able to look back on those times and memories is, 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 is quite fulfilling to me. It makes me have gratitude for the life that I live. I know I'm very fortunate to live this incredible life, to be able to travel, to be able to, you know, push myself with property, push myself with business, amazing relationships. When I'm, you know, when I'm in the care home, when I'm 80, 90, I'll, I'll be able to look back on my 20s. And if I keep going in my 30s, I look back and think, you know what? I had a good life. I lived life to the max. I lived and didn't exist. And, you know, I've got, all these memories, all these countries, all these people, um, all these you know thoughts and feelings, all documented. I think with the property stuff, it's a place that potentially could help me move quick with that. Um, I think social media is the modern day CV, CV in my opinion. Like obviously, Sam, you, you're obviously well known in our, in our group and around people for this podcast, and that's simply because you've documented. You you're, you you have become an expert on, on on the stock market, and you're documenting that to your followers and to your friends of friends and acquaintances and 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 i think that's really powerful and is potentially going to help you and by the same token i think youtube potentially can help me so that's one of the reasons why i do it i think the final thing is just just in particular i want to encourage people to travel my my youtube is called travel focused that will be changing next year but this world is an incredible place I, you know i didn't have the confidence to travel so on my own until i was 23 
And one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't start 18 because this world is truly incredible. It's made me realize there is more to life than sort of the nine five, the nine five work for 40 years. This true, this place is truly magical and there is so much to see and do. And, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm literally sat here filming this in a hotel in Vietnam in the national park, looking over some incredible hills, some incredible scenery. And it's weird. I literally know no one in this town and it's quite, you know, it's quite wholesome and quite fulfilling and it's quite weird. And it's, yeah, I think that sort of summarizes why the YouTube it's, it's, the documentation element, the ability to look back and think I've had some good times, the ability to sort of see how I've changed and also from a relationship networking point of view. I I believe that some of the things I've experienced is simply due to me documenting, documenting and people actually see, seeing that I'm actually a decent human being or I try and be a decent human being. So I think from that standpoint, that's why I do it. Is there anything else you would like to add or say before we wrap this up? Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, I had my biggest YouTube video last week. It's hit, I think, 1.3k views. Keep listening to this podcast. This podcast um, that Sam produces is really good. Um, it inquires, it gives out a lot of value. Um, I've learned a lot. And I know that I think even when we sit down and discuss things that, you know, I learn a lot from you in terms of stock market. And I hope you learn a lot in terms of property. But yeah, keep I'm on getting the there. It's a great podcast. <laughs> Some of the interviews are fantastic. And the, the knowledge that Sam and John give out is um, truly fantastic. So, yeah. And, and and I suppose, yeah, that's not much to say. Thank you for having me. And if anyone wants to contact me, social media, Instagram, then I'm sure Sam will put the link somewhere. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me. Hopefully catch up again, maybe in nine months or so. We can have another chat, see what I'm up to, and hopefully see how this podcast is progressing. Right. So thank you everyone very much for listening and we will see you next week on that note. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW Tweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.